0: Hey, welcome to Cornerstone Ministries Young Adult Podcast. We hope this serves as a resource for you as you seek, find, and grow in your walk with Jesus. Tune in for sermon audios from our young adult services and other original content. If you already have a home church, we're glad this can be another tool for you. But if not, we hope that you would check us out online at cornerstonelive.net or join us in person. Cornerstone is in Murraysville, PA, and services are Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Our Young Adult Ministry gathers every other Tuesday at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoyed this message from Cornerstone's worship pastor, Trent Coward. How are you guys doing? Yeah? All right. (laughs) Well, it's great to be here with you uh, tonight. My name is Trent, and um, uh, I'm the worship pastor here at Cornerstone. If I don't know you, I've been here about, uh, actually, almost three years, which is kind of crazy. My family, we moved here from uh, Chicago. And uh, most of uh, my kids were born in Chicago, except for one, which is Emma, who was singing up here tonight. She was born in Springfield, Illinois. Um, But then uh, my wife is a long time from Chicago area. So when I say Chicago, I say it's suburbs. It sounds way cooler than it probably is. but. it's uh we, we were there for a long time and and uh then moved out here and so we're enjoying being here and my wife is becca and we get to serve together uh she leads worship and then emma sings and my son nolan uh he plays drums and uh serves with us and my daughter ava sings too and so it's pretty cool um just to uh have a sort of a family affair going on and and, uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, tonight and, and continuing the series on the seven churches. And the reason I introduced and told you a little bit about my family is I want to tell you a little story as we get started about my son, Nolan, who Nolan is um, he's he's uh, 17 now. And uh, so about 15 years ago, he's around two years old. And um, he he started uh, this really fun game. And it was basically called, let's find whatever I can and flush it down the toilet. And um, it, was, uh, it was not as fun as it sounds even. And so um, uh, he was uh, in the middle of one of his games one time. and got something stuck in our upstairs bathroom for the kids. And so, you know, here comes dad, uh, plumber dad, right to the rescue. So I come and I get the plunger and it doesn't work. And then I start sticking stuff in there, trying to figure out what's in there, you know. And um it got to the point where I even went and I got like a drain snake, like a plumber's drain snake and I'm pushing this down on the toilet. And then it gets to the point where it started to make me mad and it, and I and I made a choice. Like I made a conscious choice where I'm like this isn't going to beat me. Like I'm I'm going to I'm going to win this, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And so it was around that point where I got aggressive enough where I actually damaged like the finish and scratched up the toilet really bad and thought, well, now I'm gonna have to replace it anyway. So we're, we're getting this out, you know. So I ended up, I took the toilet off and um, my, my, to, to be fully honest, my intention was actually to take it and just like start hitting it with a sledgehammer because I thought that sounded awesome. And so um, but I took this toilet off and I kind of flipped it upside down in the bathtub just so like water wouldn't get everywhere and then i was kind of cleaning up a little bit and um about a minute after i did this i heard this metallic sound clink 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 and i was like it's out i got really excited because then i was like well what is it because like it was ridiculously jammed in there and the, the irony of this is not lost on me, because this, this whole idea, we're talking about perseverance, right? And so I was, I was committed to finding whatever that was, even if I had to take a sledgehammer and break open this toilet. And what, was, what happened to be stuck in the toilet was, I think we have a picture, it was a metal Thomas the Train that was jammed, which, which the, again, the irony is, Thomas is like the icon for persistence, right? Like, I'm going to do it. I think I can. I think I can. Keep going. Keep going, right? And so um, that, that wasn't lost on me in the moment. I actually did think it was funny, um, you know, a couple hundred dollars later. But uh, anyway, it was a good time. And so um, <laughs> I tell you that story uh, just for the sake of um, we're, we're continuing this, this uh, seven letters of revelation to the seven churches. And uh, we're, this week we're talking about Smyrna. I believe last week I think you talked about Ephesus, and, uh, or last time. And uh, this, is, this is Smyrna, and, and um, we're looking at the, the second chapter of Revelation. And, and the book of Revelation, it, it describes this famous vision, like the, the book as a whole, is this famous well-known vision that um, the Apostle John had while he was on this island of Patmos in, in the Asian Sea. And you know, oftentimes we think of Revelation as it's just focusing on the end times or the end of the world. But uh, as we're, I know, as, as you looked at last time, and I know we're going to continue to see, this book has a lot larger of a purpose. It's, it's actually a message to give hope to, to Christ followers and, and um, those who are going through trials and as they face persecution and dangerous false teachers and Temptations of immorality and idolatry and, and spiritual complacency. It's this message to, to provide hope and, and encourage them. And John wrote this um, to, to instruct and to guide and to comfort and to reassure Christ followers just in their journey through difficult times. Um, it's full uh, of, of vivid imagery and powerful language um, that even if it's evil, sometimes it, it, it can seem really strong. Like it, it can seem like evil is going to take over. And yet, God is in control of history the entire time, Revelation tells us. Uh, it's not easy. And God's people, we can experience suffering and even be in danger. But God is faithful and He takes care of us all. Because even if evil seems to win the day, God will defeat Satan and his followers and show his justice and mercy to the entirety of creation. And Revelation actually speaks to the dearest longing of all believers, like the cry of our hearts. And it's just, it's to that return of Jesus, the the thing that we're looking for. You know, then God's going to renew his creation and his people will live with him forever. And until then, you know, may we as the church continue to cry, come Lord Jesus. Like that's kind of the, the heartbeat of, of Revelation. And, and so he, he breaks it down. Um, John, John describes these things that Jesus, um, that he sees in a vision, and, and, and uh, Jesus actually says. And so uh, the, the passage that we're looking at tonight is, is uh, Revelation 2, 8 through 11, verses uh, 8 through 11. And um, so it says this, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, this is Jesus saying this to John, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Verse 9 says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Verse 11 says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Like... Um, if I was sitting at home and walked out to my mailbox and opened it up right, and pulled out a letter and that's what it said, I would kind of be freaked out, right? Like it's like, what like what is happening? And um you know we're we're going we're gonna to kind of take a deep dive into this and uh, just look at how Jesus addresses the, the church in these letters, and, and you know, the cool part of this is he does it from this place, like, this is after. Uh, Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so when, when this happens, um, when he's giving this this letter, and yet Jesus is, is describing this as he's seeing it, um, which tells us that he's alive and he's active and he's moving in the midst of the entire church. So it's just another testament to uh, to, to Jesus' resurrection and, and that he's still alive. And so... Um, Revelation, actually, to back up just a little bit, 2, 1 through 3 says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. What Jesus is telling us, like in that, to kind of set all this up, is that He knows the details and the situations of the church individually, corporately, and, and collectively as a whole. Um, he knows all about the society in which we live and how it affects us and our testimony for Him. But as the all knowing Savior, he comes and lovingly speaks to us where we live. He calls us to find our source of happiness and strength in life in Him. And, and I, think, I think that's something really important to, to just recognize as a, a part of this is that, you know, God meets us where we are. Um, you know, we, uh, we don't have to be cleaned up enough or right enough or smart enough or whatever enough in order to accomplish this or earn this. Actually, Jesus, he meets us where we are and he speaks directly to us. And I just think that's, there's something so beautiful about that in the gospel and the way that that God has put this, this plan together. It's, it, it continues just to blow my mind. Um, it's so good. So, uh, the, uh, the city of, of Smyrna... Um, I think we have a yeah we have a map right so um, it's known um, actually it's it's still in existence um, it's now called uh, this it's in Turkey it's called the city of Izmir so so then Smyrna, Smyrna was about 35 to 40 miles north of Ephesus you can see on the on the map there and um, it's it's on the west coast of Asia in the the Aegean Sea uh, it was considered the loveliest of all the cities sometimes it was called the ornament of Asia, or it was called the crown of Asia, or even sometimes they called it the flower of Asia. It was absolutely beautiful, just stunning, and it and it stood at at the end of a road um, that was westward across uh, Lydia. Let's see, is that up there? That's not up there. But in uh, um, Phrygia, right? No, nope, that's not up there either. Okay, sorry, my bad. <laughs> in a place in the center of uh, Asia Minor, um, so it's modern Turkey. uh, And so this road kind of traveled back and forth between. Um, In relation to the sea, it stood at the end of a long arm. You can see the sea there, which um, ended in a small landlocked harbor in the heart of the city, making it one of the safest harbors ever. It controlled the trade of the rich Aramis Valley and was a great, wealthy an important city. Also, just so you know, like Hebrew and like names, I'm terrible at pronouncing them. So uh, just bear with me as we get through some of that. But uh, (laughs) um, this city itself, it began at the harbor and it went through uh, throughout the narrow foothills there. And behind the the city actually rose a hill that they covered with temples. They built temples on this hill and and noble buildings, which uh, circled a large hill uh, called Mount Pagos. Uh, but the hill, it, they also called that particular hill the Crown of Smyrna because of the way buildings had formed around this hill. It was just, it was just described by o- over and over in, in history as just this beautiful, beautiful place. Smyrna had been a Greek colony as far back as 1000 B.C., and around 600 BC, it was invaded and then destroyed by the Lydians for, uh, and for, by the Lydians. And for 400 years, there was actually no city there at all. So then after Alexander the Great, and it was in uh, around 200 BC, uh, I think it's pronounced Lysernacus rebuilt it. He was a ruler at the time. And so the city had experienced death, and had literally been brought back to life, mainly due to its, its historic path. Um, the church actually later even used this, this city as a metaphor at times, just to, uh, as a metaphor for Christ, the fact that he had, he had died and, and come back to life. And so um, there were, there were other, some, some other significant facts about Smyrna as well. It was considered a free city, and um, it was a city that knew the meaning of loyalty to Rome, unlike any other city cicero actually called it one of the most beautiful and faithful of our most ancient allies it was the first city in the world to build a temple to the goddess roma and to the spirit of rome their faithfulness to rome was actually famous throughout the ancient world so like this was a a city that was held in high regard and it was it was kind of a big deal Um, they uh, they use this term around it. Uh, the English translation is municipal vanity. Actually, it was known it was known that it was just awesome. And if you were from there, you were awesome. And that's kind of just how it went. Um, everyone they 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 wanted to just call out how much greater Smyrna was than other cities. And uh, another another uh, factor about Smyrna was that. Uh, there were uh, a lot of Jewish people there and um, uh, it was not only a large population but it was, they were extremely influential and um, it's really interesting to note that they were actually part of the group that was against the rise of Christianity you had these, these uh, Jewish uh, people that were there and um, they're, they're actually called evil at times um, they did everything they could actually to hurt the church in Smyrna. And uh, that's actually called out in, Re- in Revelation in 2.9. We read it before. It says, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Like that's how Jesus speaks about the Jews that were there, part of this group. Like they were, they were a pretty, pretty rough group. Um, Smyrna got its name from one of its main products, which uh, you may remember from, there's three wise men. They come to see baby Jesus, and there's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right, Smyrna. Right, Smyrna. I guess that's how. Uh, that's probably how they said it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, and myrrh is, myrrh is just an expensive, sweet, very fragrant perfume. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't know, but uh, finally. Um, Smyrna, unlike the city of Ephesus, it actually still stands today. Uh, like I said, it's, um, it's in Turkey. and Though many of the, the believers that were there, many of the Christians, they actually died martyrs' deaths. It's, it's just described about Smyrna that um, Satan actually couldn't stamp out their legacy. He couldn't stop what Jesus was doing there in the church. And so that's a, that's a pretty, cool, pretty cool stand to make in, in the idea that um, most people suffered a martyr's death, so um, they saw it as suffering as a they saw suffering as a way to to help keeping pure uh, in devotion to Christ. And it was evident for this church. You know, we see throughout all the seven letters uh, that there's a need or an issue that arises, and Jesus actually comes into every every one of the letters. In every one of the letters, he's like, "This is happening. This is either good or bad." There's a, there's a need. There's an issue here. Something's going on. Hey, hey church, just so you know, I'm the answer is what Jesus says. Like that's kind of the, the, the ebb and flow or the, the, the rhythm of these letters, the way they work. There's a need. And uh, Jesus says, I'm the answer to that. Or there's an issue. And um, Jesus is the answer to that question. You know, um, so since... Jesus is the answer to the needs, the problems and the conditions in each church. Um, and, and since many died for their faith, faith, Christ assures them of their resurrection with Him and future rewards, because he, because he is that first and last, the eternal God, who became man, He died, and he rose again. And so the fascinating thing is, these letters, these letters are, uh, are, are just Jesus reaching. Reaching out, you know, it's just this invitational idea. The church turned to me, or keep it up. You guys are doing great, but know that I'm the answer. Um, 1 Peter one three says, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a new living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." And um, and and these are just some scriptures, a couple of scriptures to support this idea that um, Jesus is saying, hey, you, you, guys, you guys are going to persevere. Some of you, you're, you're going to run into trouble. Some of you are going to be martyrs, but you will be with me. Um, Acts 2.24 says, says it like this, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. And so um, the, the Greek in these passages literally says, he became dead and and begin to live or, or came to life again. It's a reference to the cross and the resurrection, and it describes the experience he went through for us. He passed into death, then through death, and out of death, and then came back to life as the resurrection and the life. And it's important because, you know, Jesus, the, the risen Christ, is one who has experienced the worst that life could actually throw at him. No matter what might happen to, to the Christians at, at Smyrna, um, or even to us now, actually, uh, but in Smyrna, Jesus had gone through the worst that life could give them. He's the one who feels for us in our suffering with deep love and compassion and is ever present. To our aid and our comfort, the risen Christ has conquered the worst that life can do. He triumphed over pain, the cross, Satan, sin, and death, and he defeated all of our enemies. And he invites us to victory with him. And so, like you, you know, that's a lot of information, right? Um, there's a lot going on there. Jesus kind of calls out and he says, Hey, Smyrna, you guys, uh, wow, you're, you're, you're poor, but you're actually rich. Um, you're going to experience some rough times, but you've stayed faithful, continue to stay faithful. And, and it's kind of like, you know, we can ask, why, why does he do that? Um, the reason is actually invitation. Um, knowing that God is love, that his very essence is love, then we know that everything that he does is actually motivated out of love. And it's, it's love for us, actually. So, so we have this invitation from the core of who God is, which is love itself, love for us, that's inviting us into something with him. And he's saying not only, he's like, I, I've actually taken care of it all. And he said, you know what, you may die, but you'll be with me. You won't suffer a second death. That's, that's, that's the, the hope that we have. So there's not the second death being a separation from the presence of God. God has done all of this because he has a plan to invite us into relationship with him. This kind of drastic love, you know, it absolutely calls us to a response. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I do worship stuff for a living. And, uh, and uh, I, I do that because I actually believe, oddly enough, I actually believe that it is the most important thing that we can do. I, I believe that it is for our good. Like, God is so amazing, and his character is so vast, and he's so knowledgeable, and he's so incredible, and he's, he's all of these things. We could list out characteristics for days, right, and still not come to the end of that. Continue and continue and continue, and always find new things to say, new ways that he loves us, ways that he's smarter or more powerful or more creative than we can ever imagine. And yet, God is all of those things whether we call it out or not. The fact that I stand here and go, God's pretty awesome. God's not awesome if I don't say that. God is still awesome if I don't say that. He's not affected. There's not a change there, right? Um, The reason that we do that and the reason God actually instructs us to do this is because that's the best thing for our good it's best that we understand the depth of his character it's best that we understand how amazing that he is and how much he loves us that's the best thing for us and honestly when i when i started to kind of think through that and begin to understand the the just the tip of the the depth of that i thought wow like there's nothing more important than we can do because god really really loves us, and, and, and the things that he's the, he does are motivated by, by love. And so our response that we're called to is literally, God, here I am. Here I am. All that I am is yours. That's our proper response, right? And yet, most of the time it's like, okay, God, so here's some of the stuff, but I kind of want to hang on to this stuff, right? Um, And sometimes we give, even unaware, sometimes we give partial responses, but yet it, it calls us to this. And yet God still loves us in the middle of all that, knowing that it's not a full response sometimes, knowing that it's not to the depth of who we are. He still loves us. He still meets us where we are. He still loves it when we turn our face to Him and we begin to worship, we focus our hearts on Him and begin to love Him back. It's a beautiful thing. And I think it's important that the idea of this response, too, I just... Um, I, uh, I grew up in church. You know, it was uh, kind of... Um, Really made evident to me that I should really pursue making good choices, right? I should do the thing that like I'm supposed to do. Like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll do the right thing. Yeah, I should do the right thing. And you begin to sort of pattern your life in this, and you begin to kind of figure out what the right thing to do is, and even if it's ha- a half-hearted thing, right? And so um, I remember coming to a place where I realized that. Uh, if I am just doing this just to make good decisions or just to, to look good. I mean, that's a, that's a fine thing. Good decisions are good. But if I'm only doing it for that sake, then I am shortchanging and I am really limiting my relationship with God. Like if I reduce my relationship with the Lord and all that he is to me or all that he wants to do in me, and if, if we kind of go down that path where it's like, hey, we're just checking the boxes trying to make good decisions. we're a- absolutely limiting that relationship with him. and I think he calls us to so so much more than that. I think he calls us to life in him and uh, and so again, don't I- I'm not saying good decisions or good choices are bad. I'm just saying I think there's so much more to life. and so when we minimize our faith and the nature. The nature of Jesus himself. We limit our followership to just making good choices. And so this is what Jesus says to us, the church, right? Because we're the church, right? The, the, the presence of God lives in us. We are the church. The church isn't a, isn't a building or a geographical, geographical location. The church is in us. We are living as the, the, the church, as Jesus' church. Um, this is what Jesus says. In verse 9, he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And verse 11 says, again, whoever hears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So, we know that He meets us where we're at, and uh, we're going to look at, walk through this verse a little bit, um, where uh, Jesus says, I know your afflictions. The, uh, the, the Greek word, I'm going to try it, all right, it's actually... Slypsis, I think. Slypsis. It's really hard to say, but it looks like what's at the top of the screen there. That's pronounced Slypsis. And it actually means pressure, or it's an actual literal crushing weight. And so Jesus knew the pressure of events that were on the church at Smyrna and the forces and the circumstances that were trying to crush the Christianity out of them. He knew it for them, and he knows it for us. And he meets us in it, and he shows himself faithful through it. And that goes on to say, uh, he knows our poverty, right? He, I know your afflictions and your poverty. And poverty is a Greek word called to, Tochian, I think. <laughs> it starts with a P, but it sounds like a T. Um, and it actually describes absolute poverty or just complete poverty destitute like having nothing there's a couple of different greek words um that that mean um uh, poverty or poor and this one means abs- like you have nothing um and so jesus says i know your poverty and then he and then he says yet you are also rich he offers no criticism jesus offers no criticism of this church in this letter the saints, they were, they were faithful in spite of suffering at the hands of their Jewish persecutors. And I'm sure that at times they thought they were poor. But uh, in contrast to later in the seventh church, um, Laodicea, uh, Jesus actually says, you thought you were rich, but you're actually poor. That's the opposite here. This church, he's saying, you guys are poor, but you're actually actually rich because he is faithful to know their lives and their needs and he knows that about us too right? he first assures them that he knows and cares for their great suffering on his behalf and then commends them for their spiritual wealth in the midst of their physical poverty and suffering much of which was brought on by the the Jews of the city in, in Smyrna so while they were poor, they were also considered rich. They were rich in Christ. They were rich in grace. They were also rich in that God had actually counted them worthy to suffer for him. They were rich spiritually because they were living close to God by faith. And so um, Jesus also knew, knew those who persecuted them. He knows everyone that comes, came against them and everyone who comes against us. These were the religious Jews, and they claimed to be descendants of Abraham. Um, They were Jews, actually, but spiritually they weren't considered Jews. They were actually considered evil and under the power and control of Satan. Verse 9 ends by saying they were a synagogue of Satan. Um, Moving into verse 10, concerning fear and suffering, Jesus said, Do not be afraid. He, he's literally saying, fear nothing, no matter how big or small. The one who overcame death says to his church, fear nothing. They didn't have to be anxious because Jesus also explains that he carries that weight for us. Uh, Philippians 4, 6-8 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will again say it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Um, there's also a couple other things I'll, I'll, I'll pull out and, and um, in here, and then, then I want to, to look to us a little bit and ask a couple questions, but... Uh, you know, concerning the future and testing, some church, some of the church members, some of the, the the Christ followers in Smyrna were going to face prison, severe testing, and even even death. And Revelation two ten says it would be for ten days, which is not too long. Which is kind of a weird detail to me. And some theologians think it could be a reference um, to ten actual days, and some think it could be a reference. Um, to the fact that there were, there were ten principal persecutions that were under the Roman emperors that, between Nero and uh, Diocletian. And either way, there is uh, a connection that this persecution is attributed to Satan. So however long it was, however long uh, it, it, it played out, whether it was, it was ten days or ten persecutors, um, But concerning faithfulness and rewards, Jesus says, be faithful until death. It means being faithful to the point of martyrdom. And the Lord says, you know what? You you may be killed here. You may lose your life here, but whoever loses their life will gain it. And you won't die a second death. Victory in this life is closely associated with eternity and the glories that follow in it. This is a promise. Verse 11 goes to a promise to us that that we will not be hurt by the second death, that we will actually be with Christ and not separate from God, as Revelation actually 20, verse 1 and verse 14 talks about it being separated in the lake of fire. So believers may face a physical death, but because they have a second birth, which is our salvation in Jesus, they will not ever face the second death. So to overcome here means to remain faithful in the Lord, even if till earthly death. Jesus was simply reminding them that, that though some would die for him, the second death could never touch them. Some people believe that this letter to Smyrna represents a martyr period of the church when the church was under extreme persecution under the Roman emperors. And others believe it speaks to what is to come. And I, I tend to see it as God actually just reaching out to us, choosing to show us mercy and grace and love. Um, you know, I, I, I like the, the deep dive into the Greek and the understanding and the history but I also really like the fact that there's this relationship part and that I'm invited into something that God loves me for who I am, not for what I can do for him, Um, not for who I should be, not a cleaned up future version of me, but but me who I am right now with all my my flaws and my issues. And I know my daughter Emma would be like, no, you don't have flaws and issues, right? No. Uh, I thought that was funny. That was my token dad joke, right? Um, God loves us for who we are right now, not a future cleaned-up version of us. I just think that's so beautiful, and I think it's so important for us to, to grasp and pull from this as much as, as we, can, we can gain from it otherwise. And so I would just ask you, what do you think God is actually trying to speak to you even tonight in these moments through this passage. Is it maybe a call to uh, stay strong? You know, maybe maybe you're going through something and, and maybe you're being pressured in some way to do something outside of your character, and maybe God is just trying to encourage you: hey, stay strong. This is a good thing. Maybe. Um, maybe you're trying to figure out even if God is faithful. Maybe He just wants to show Himself that He's He's faithful. You know, He just wants to be with you as you're going through what you're going through. Maybe it's just Him saying, "Hey, I want to draw near to you." We can all use the presence of God in our lives. Doing life with us, not just us doing some stuff for God. He meets us where we are. He knows where we are. We are called to persevere, just like Thomas the Train, right? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your words. That you wrote in this crazy book of Revelation that says some crazy things. <laughs> Thank you for the, the words to this church that speak to us even today that say, Hold on, I'm with you. That say, You're going to make it. That say, It's going to get better. <laughs> that says, I see you where you are and I love you. Thank you for that. Lord, and thank you for your faithfulness. I pray, Father, that, that we would just go knowing that you are faithful, that you are always with us, and that you love us so much more than we could ever imagine. Call us deeper into relationship with you. Even if we don't know what that means sometimes, call us deeper into relationship with you. Lord, we respond by saying, here we are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information on the Young Adult Ministry, follow us on Instagram, or you can email youngadults at cornerstonelive.net.